Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how we should treat each other in church. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a big change that has taken place in our church. Our Sunday gathering has moved from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You heard that right, 4 p.m. There are several reasons that we decided to make this change, but let me just tell you one. We now offer the only service in our city that isn't on Sunday morning, which gives people that have work on Sundays or other things going on an opportunity to go to church. A pastor friend of mine said to me not long ago, if you want to reach people nobody else is reaching, you have to do things nobody else is doing. And it is our hope that moving to 4 p.m. will give an opportunity to help new people experience and express God's glory. If you are in our area, we would love for you to try out our 4 p.m. service in person. If you aren't in our area, we'd love for you to watch our service online at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I think this can be a perfect way to end the weekend for those of you that listen to this podcast and are on the East Coast. For more information either way about our Sunday gathering, please visit wilsonville.church slash Sundays. That's wilsonville.church slash Sundays. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. This year, you know, as, as we just kind of prayed about, as we think about our nation, it is clear that we've fallen on hard times and uh, there's tons of division and there's a lot of, lot of issues. And, and I, think, I think that one of the reasons that we look at our nation and think, while I'm still glad to be here, there's, there's a lot of struggle. Uh, I think that one of the reasons for those struggles is, is frankly the weakening of the church in our country. And uh, I think that for, for decade upon decade, we have been, we've seen the church be weakened. And I, I don't just mean we've seen the church shrink, although there is some of that in the church in the United States of America. I mean that the church has been, has been weakened. It's, it's uh, become less important. It's, it's resulted in less good. And, and, I, and I think a big reason for that is the very thing that we're going to see here in our, our passage in Romans. We're moving uh, to the end of the, the book of Romans. And uh, as we move into uh, one of our final uh, sermons in the book of Romans, this one and next week, uh, I do want to say that we've made an update to our website, and I know that's a weird thing to just pause and say in the middle uh, of a sermon, but if you go to our, our website and you go to the sermons page on our website now, you can actually look uh, at different categories of sermons that are on there, and one of those categories is Roman sermons. And so if you're online and or it's your first time like hearing a sermon in the book of Romans and we're almost finished, uh, man, I think it would be a great thing to do to go back and listen. I know how much better I understand the book than I, you know, than I did a year ago. Uh, and if you've missed any of those, if you're new with us, if you haven't heard any of them, if you just want to refresh, you can go click Roman sermons and hear all of those. But before the book finishes, it's like Paul has said all of this weighty stuff, and now he's going to combat something uh, that would really tear at everything that he's done in the book so far. And, and really what he's going to combat is the issue of false teachers, the issue of false teachers. Paul has written this, this incredibly theologically rich and important document that we call the book of Romans, this letter to this church in Rome. And, and now he says, hey, but the church will be weakened and all of this stuff won't matter if you, if you embrace 
if you embrace teaching that is contrary to what I've said and, and what is true. Um, frankly, we live in a time where I think in uh, a place where, where the church is, has embraced so many false teachings. And, and I'll hit on a couple in just a minute. But, but, but one of the reasons I think that the, the American church is struggling so much and, and our nation is struggling is because the church has embraced teachings that are contrary to that which is true, uh, that which is in the word of God. And here's, here's how Paul begins this little section in Romans 16, 17 through 18. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, Paul has been uh, making, if you've been following along, for those of you who haven't, I'm giving you new information, but Paul has been making this giant call for unity within the church. I actually said last week that the entirety of this section that, that we're talking about in this series called Greetings uh, can be summed up by that word greeting, which is to call others alongside ourselves. And, and so Paul is has been saying, look, you, you need to be a person of unity. You need to remove obstacles and divisions. You need, to, you need to invest in others. You need to serve others. You need to invite others to be a part of your life and a part of the church as a whole. You need to bring people in. He, he has said all of these really important things that I think can be summarized by, by just unity. And here, here Paul is going to shift gears because in all of the other stuff, it's been centered around, maybe you remember this phrase, disputable matters. That is matters of, of opinion. That is things that God has not made clear, outright declarations about. The examples Paul gives are like eating food sacrificed to idols and treating some days more special than others. And Paul has, has said like, hey, when it comes to those things, here's what you need to do. You need to just let your opinions, your feelings take a back seat to the unity within the church. And instead of fighting over disputable matters, we need to, as I've said, invest in each other and care about each other and, and bring each other alongside each other. But now you, you have to notice here that Paul leaves behind disputable matters and he brings another thing into the equation that, that we know from experience and Paul seemingly knows from experience, causes division within the church, and that is false teaching. He's calling these people to be aware of false teachings and the divisions that they bring. Now, we know this to be true because like denominations, right? I mean, we have these things called denominations and often, uh, most often, denominations are created because because of false teachings. And false teachings will arise in a denomination and, and a group of people frequently will, will choose to leave that denomination. As I thought about this this week, this is a, the building that we are using right now is a conservative Baptist church. They recently changed their name to Venture Churches or something, I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, but they have a new name. But they used to be conservative Baptists until the last few years. And, and, and my great-grandfather was actually one of the, the very first conservative Baptist pastors. And, and I'd kind of heard that he was kicked out of the Northern Baptist somewhere in my history. Now, I looked up the history of the conservative Baptist network, as they were called until recently. And, 
And basically it's because the Northern Baptists started to embrace untruth, things that were not true. And, and, they, and the big issue for the people who became the conservative Baptists is they, they said, we will send missionaries who will not teach the gospel as it is written in the scriptures. We don't care about whether they embrace Jesus in the, the way that the scriptures have called us to embrace Jesus. And and, and so the people who became the conservative Baptists, they said, nah, like we're not having that, but we're not leaving. They chose not to leave. There's another denomination called the General Association of Regular Baptists. I went to their university uh, that said, we're out of here. But the, the conservative Baptists said, no, we're not gonna do that. Uh, we'll, we'll stay in, but we'll start our own missionary network and we'll send missionaries kind of subsequent to the Northern Baptist movement. And that went on for a little while. And then the Northern Baptist head honchos said, nah, we're not going to allow you to do that. And so they, they, uh, they put a stop to it. And that's when the conservative Baptist network said, fine, if, if you're not teaching the truths of scripture, then we're going we're gonna to move on now. Like we're going to go do something else. And so sometimes divisions are caused simply by false teaching, teachings that are untrue. I know that many of you would leave our church rightfully leave our church if I got up here and started preaching that which we call heresy. That is things that are outside of the bounds which is allowable in scripture. If I said there were many gods or if I said there were more than one way to get into a relationship with God and spend eternity in heaven, uh, if I told you that Jesus was not God in, in human form, like all these things, there are people in our church who would rightfully leave. It would create a division in the church. And so Paul, now notice, he said, there's all these disputable matters, right? And, and over these things, I want you to avoid division by lowering, lowering your opinions and yourself, basically, for the good, for the unity of the church. But Paul doesn't say when it comes to non-disputable matters here, false teachings, to just let your, let your beliefs go, you know, to the back and don't worry about it and just fight for unity above all else which frankly is, is what it seems is called for by so many in America, even the American church. Instead of Paul saying, hey, don't worry about what you believe, just fight for unity when it comes to divisions over false teaching, he says, he says, avoid the division by two things, recognizing and staying away from false teachers and false teaching. He doesn't say, just let it go, don't think about it, you know, have unity despite it. He says, instead of that, avoid the division by recognizing false teaching and staying away from false teaching. Now, what is a false teaching? I've mentioned this a little. For the church in Rome, it was things contrary, this is Paul's language, to the teaching you have learned. For us, it's, it's teaching that is directly contrary to what has been taught in scripture. I've just given you a few examples of that. When the Bible clearly indicates, shows us that Jesus is, is God walking the earth and, and somebody comes along and says he wasn't, that is, a, that is a false teaching. If somebody says Jesus is not the only way to heaven, all religions lead to heaven, well, that's a false teaching because the Bible and Jesus himself said that he was the only way to the Father. Uh, I could go on and on and on. This again is not disputable matters and frankly this is not things that that we oftentimes argue about. Different views of of, of election whether it's conditional or unconditional. Um, things like uh, you know like 
can you lose your salvation or not lose your salvation? There are things that can be argued about within scripture that are not false teachings. They're just not super clear in scripture. And if God meant for them to be more clear, perhaps they would. But there are things that are completely contrary to what God has declared in his word. And Paul says these things must be recognized and avoided. Now, I'm going to talk about that more in, in just a second because I think it's important. Um, but he says that the, re, the way, the way that these, these false teachings get a grip within the church is that they come from, from great communicators who are focused on you, who, who just appeal to your own pride and your own arrogance. They appeal to you, and man, this, this is not hard to see in our world today because, because it, is, it is easy to grow a church being a good communicator that just tells people exactly what they want to hear. You can turn on the TV basically every single day of the week and hear a sermon where somebody is a great, a great communicator and they, they appeal to, to you and, and your wants and your desires, your, your feelings, you know, all of, all of these things. It says uh, that they do it through flattery, right? And that's, that's what it is. And, and I just, let me just give you one giant uh, kind of sweeping uh, way this comes across. The prosperity gospel is just running our nation right now. And let me, let me tell you what the prosperity gospel is. The prosperity gospel is, is simply the idea that if you love God enough, you will prosper in this life. And uh, I think most communicators that we've all heard of collectively walk a very, uh, some of them on the right side of the line, some of them on the wrong side of the line, but they walk this line of prosperity gospel. I, 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 I watched a YouTube video not long ago with, with one of these people in this kind of camp and and they preach, they're saying all this stuff, and it's all, it's all fine stuff, actually. It was all, it was all okay, very man-centered, because it always is, very you-centered, because it's flattery, right? Uh, and then they get to the end, and they say, that's the gospel. And like every, I mean, this is a great communicator, and, and you just, you just want to go, yeah, and then you're like, wait, that's not, I mean, Paul's already told us what the gospel is. The gospel is the righteousness that comes through Christ because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel is not my life can be better if I'll just stop looking in the past and look towards the future or whatever. That's, that's not the gospel. That's a lie to call that the gospel. That isn't even close to the gospel. And, and in that particular sermon, it wasn't, it wasn't, frankly, that the other stuff was totally wrong that he said. It's just it wasn't the gospel. The gospel is so much bigger and so much better. And I think what Paul would say is if somebody comes along and says, hey, your life's going to be awesome and you're going to be happy and you're going to have more money, that's the gospel. That's contrary to everything that you've read in scripture, everything Paul has said to us in the book of Romans. And so it has to be, you have to be able to identify it and avoid it. You have to recognize it and avoid it. I mean, just recently, I, I, uh, I was at our denomination's giant annual meeting, and, uh, and I came back, and I've told many people this, maybe, maybe you, I literally heard the greatest speech. It wasn't a sermon, but it was the greatest speech that I have ever heard. And, and when I say that, I mean, 
the rhetoric was just stunning. Like you maybe read, if you had read about our denomination or picked up the New York Times or whatever, this one great line, I I like this line, I I tend to agree with this line. Uh, When the church gets in bed with politics, it always gets pregnant and the offspring never looks like the God that we serve or the heavenly father. Great line, right? The whole speech, it was like one after another. It's like, if you were a note taker, you're like, oh, good one, good one. You couldn't even keep up with the thing. And I got to the end and I was like, wow. I think my mouth was actually open for most of this speech. I was like, like just because I'm a communicator, I was just impressed. I put it up there with George Bush's speech after the Twin Towers were bombed. They can, they can uh, tear down the tallest buildings, but they cannot dent the resolve of American steel or however he, he said it more eloquently than that. But it's like, I put it up there with that. And I thought, you know what? I actually don't even think I agree with that speech. It was so good that like, I got, there was parts of it I agreed with. I agree with that line for the most part. I agree with a lot of the punchlines in there, but it was just so good that I was, I was like, and then I was like, wait a minute. I think, I'll tell you what I think was wrong with it if you wanna know. I think he just pitted preaching the gospel kind of against living a life of holiness and striving for holiness. Like those things should not go against each other. They should go together, but that's what the, think kind of the whole point was let's not worry about being holy because we have to preach the gospel that's that's not right that's contrary that's contrary to what i have read in scripture i think i just think of like these lines like man sticky statements i use them a lot sticky statement a sticky statement is just the one liner that i use in my sermons to help you remember none of these are mine but i was just thinking about these sticky statements that you could turn into just untrue statements like this is this is not mine this i didn't just make this up for the sermon but you've heard this you can't outgive god well that's true but when i've heard that it's like give us money and trust that more will come back because why? You can't outgive God. Well, if, I'm gonna tell you, give money to our church. It's the right thing to do. But if you do, you might be a little bit poorer because you did. Like, that's the reality. Like, that's just the truth of it. I made this one up, but I, I could just sell this, right? Like, I could give a whole thing and, and then I could be like, from beginning to end, God just wants to be your friend. And just tell you like, hey, it doesn't really matter what you do with your life because God just wants to be your friend. And it sounds so rhymy and believable, right? But that's not true. I mean, from beginning to end, God wants you to declare him as your Lord and Savior. That's what God wants from you. And if you will, then yes, you can be a friend of God. It's uh, somebody in the Bible's described that way. But that's, that's not what it's about. God is God and we are man. And yes, he allows for us to come and enter into a relationship with him that, that does look a lot like friendship. But, but that's, that's not the truth of scripture in a nutshell. I thought about how I could like, I could just preach about Moses holding up his arms. I was just trying to come up with heresies, by the way, that was like the goal here, like things that just feel good, but aren't true. Like Moses holding up his arms, right? And, and, and you know, the story and the battles going on below. And if his arms go down, then, then they lose the battle. If the arms stay up, then they win the battle. And I just thought of this line, like, because I like the alliteration. Alliteration helps sell things that aren't true too. When you worship, you win. And I could tell people that like, as long as you keep your arms up and you worship God every Sunday, then God is going to give you victory in every area of your life. Now that's, I mean, true, depending on how you mean it. It doesn't mean everything's going to get better though. And that's often how that sermon would be 
preached. God will give you victory. He'll give you the victory of joy and peace and uh, he'll give you the victory to continue to serve him despite and he'll, he'll make it so that all things are worked for your good. But it's a, I don't actually know how the prosperity gospel works except for what Paul has declared here. It works because there's great communicators who can smooth talk and they offer flattery because notice in all of those things, it's about you living your best preferred life. It's not about you serving God with all of your heart, which is the actual, the actual truth of scripture is that we live to experience and express the glory of God, not to just have whatever we want whenever we want to have it. Um, I even, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it by name here. But, but I was listening to this worship song last summer, and and uh, I really like almost the entirety of this of this song. And and I hate to call it by name, but I'm gonna do it. Um, it's called Champion, and and it's it's just it's just a, to me the reason I'm gonna give the name to you is because it just shows how. It, it can feel so good. So I'm listening to this worship song. I'm not really paying attention. I was driving to Longview, a sunny day, and, and I'm driving along and I'm totally engaged. I like the song actually 75% of the time or whatever. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm, it's like about God giving us victories and the walls will crash down and all these things. And then all of a sudden, like there's this bridge and, and the bridge like, I wasn't really paying attention. I was all of a sudden like, what is this song actually saying now? Like, this doesn't seem right anymore. And it says like, so the whole song is about the power of God in our, in our life, and which is great, and how God will give us victory. I love that. But then it says, when I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I have the authority Jesus has given me. When I open my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I have the authority Jesus has given me. When I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes down. Has anybody experienced that to be true? Do you just get whatever miracle you want as long as you open your mouth? Like Jesus has given us some authority in this world. Like we have a power that is different because he indwells us. That is true. But there is no truth to the idea that I get whatever miracle I want. I mean, this is a picture of the walls coming down in Jericho. If you grew up in church and there's this story like, where, where the, the Israelites are told to march around the walls seven times and then they blow their horns and the walls come down. And what this song portrays is like that the power is in the trumpet, but the power is not in the trumpet, the power is in God. And sometimes we ask God to do things and God does not. I heard this false teacher once, I've had a couple of experiences with this man, but before we had our, our worst encounter, I was sitting at a coffee shop and he was talking to these old, two older gentlemen and he said this thing that is just untrue. He said, God does not ask us to pray for miracles. He just tells us to do them. Like that's flattering that I can just do a miracle whenever I want. Like abracadabra miracle, you know, like it just doesn't work that way. It's contrary to false teaching. One of the great lies of American Christian culture is that God just wants you to be happy. And so many people are rejecting God because of that single lie that God just wants you to be happy. And, and, and yeah, God wants you to be happy for eternity, but like right now, sometimes we, I mean, goodness, we know this truth, right? Like the thing that makes us happy in a moment is not, not always, and maybe perhaps most of the time not, the thing that is best for us, right? Like a brownie makes me happy, but it's not the best thing for me. 
And God doesn't want me to eat every brownie. God wants me to live a life that is healthy and good and glorifies him. But because of the incredible teaching, and, and here's, here's, here's the thing about our world today. Like in, in Rome, like, I don't even know how these false teachers got in there. You got a single church. We have YouTube now, right? We have TBN. There's good things on there. But we have like TV where these false teachers have this huge platform. We have podcasting. And so I see that in our world, it's not like it's easy for a pastor of a church, the elders of a church to protect their flock anymore because they are inundated, they are bombarded with, with false teachings all the time. You're bombarded by false teachings all the time. Now, I have to step probably off camera. Sorry, those at home, because I left this thing right here. I'm gonna come down, and, and, and this is what Paul says it's, it's like. He, he says that these things are gonna do two things. They're gonna create division, and they're going to put obstacles in the way. Now, what's interesting about that word obstacle right there is it's, it's actually a, a Greek word that translates obstacle that doesn't really mean obstacle. I'm not sure why this translation, it, it, it refers to a trap stick or a crooked stick on which the bait is fastened, which the animal strikes against and, and so springs the trap. So I have a mouse trap. We have mice problems on our church's property, not at my home, thankfully. And so we have mouse traps just laying around. I made sure this wasn't going to snap me. I did not want to go viral for getting snapped by a mousetrap and breaking my finger on camera. Uh, I had a stick in here earlier. But, the, but the, I, think, I think that this word actually refers to here, right? Like where you put the bait, and then when he hits it, when he steps on it to grab it or puts his poor little baby nose in there, it, it chops off his neck because of it. I mean, that's, that's what happens. I saw, we saw a dead mouse yesterday on a walk, and I was like, I can't do it. I can't walk by him. Um, and so, uh, so this, this right here, this is the, the trap stick. I mean, it would have looked different in Rome. They didn't have these nice little plastic mouse traps, but they would have had a similar idea, the stick. And when he bites the stick, the net comes. I don't know how it all worked. I'm not a hunter, as you can tell by my attitude towards the death of a mouse yesterday. But, but this, is, this, is, this is the word that Paul uses. And I, I think what we, what we can do, obstacle is such a soft word, right? Because I just kind of move around it. I don't even think about it again. Uh, but trap... That's what false teaching is doing. It's, it's, it's putting the bait in there and saying, hey, you can be everything you want to be. You, you don't have to worry about your sin. You can just be totally happy. God's going to give you all the money in the world if you just do it the right way. And you bite on and, and it, just, it just snaps. And, and false teachers, you know, the bait that they use, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great teaching. And there's so many that are so good. I listen to um, some false teachers sometimes just because I want to I wanna see how they communicate. And uh, I, I like learning from their communication styles. And I think, wow, if only they were saying something true and good, how awesome would that be? But, but they do it through that. They do it through flattery. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Listen to most modern worship. Some songs are not bad. We do some songs, but it's so me-centered, isn't it? And then the other way, and we see this all the time, the other, the other bait that, that makes you stick your little head in there is just pleasure, right? Because if we, we want what we want, and, and the false teachers in the American society, they say, they say you can have what you want. 
and you don't have to worry about the consequences or what God thinks. And man, that trap comes down. Uh, my brother-in-law, Matt, right here, who did the announcements, he, he read this book a long time ago, and it, it, was this, uh, it was this book. I've never read it, so it's his story. But, but it was a, a book trying to discredit Christianity. There's a book where, you know, it's going through the logic, saying Christianity is not logical, it's not reasonable to be a Christian. And, and what's so ridiculous about this book is this guy, he, he, he doesn't say, I was studying like crazy and just decided that it was illogical to be a Christian. He, he basically says, I no longer loved my wife. I wanted to get a divorce. The church had a problem with that. And so I found a way to appease my own conscience, right? And, and so I rejected Christianity outright. So here's the logical reasons that was okay. Listen, this, this is how it happens most of the time. People usually that reject the truths of Christianity, they don't reject them because mentally they have decided that they were untrue. They reject them because their flesh wanted something different and then they found a way. This is the trap. I want what I want, so I'll listen to the false teaching and snap, snap, your faith is dead. It just crushes it. It crushes it. I mean, the bait is flattery, our flesh, and sometimes I've heard it the other way too, it's fear. Here, people teach, you know, false things in fundamentalist circles, like, like, hey, if you do this sin, God will send you to hell. And so they, they teach this false thing and say, if you reject me, if you don't listen to me, then, then it's hell for you. And, and this, is, this is just a different version of the same thing, teaching false things and using, using bait. And, and Paul, Paul gets to the end here and he says that, that the, the trap is that our minds will be deceived, that naive minds will be deceived. That's what will happen. And, and, and what, I see, what I see take place, what happens in the church is that when minds are deceived, hearts become diseased. That's my sticky statement. Make sure it's true. Uh, when minds are deceived, hearts become diseased. And I think that's what's taken place in the American church today and why we see, frankly, a rejection of God that then what follows that is just outright ridiculousness sometimes. I don't know why we haven't noticed, but the further, the more our country rejects God, the worse our country becomes. But, but our country's rejecting God, I think, in large part because, because the bait was set and naive minds were tricked. They were deceived. And then hearts become diseased. And then the nation becomes diseased. And it, it falls upon the church in many ways because the church, what has happened in the church is that we've stopped teaching the heavy truths so that people are left to believe whatever they want. And then somebody comes along and says, I'll tell you, you can have whatever you want and be a Christian. It can just be happiness and fun and all, you know, never thinking anything negative. And bam, the trap just hits and people give up their faith and denominations crumble. Whole denominations are going down because they've given up on truth. I can make a case, I think, in our country that we've seen this happen. And, and when I was growing up, I went to a church that was self-proclaimed seeker-sensitive. And, and we, went from, we went from just, you know, frankly, teaching the deep truths of Scripture 
to telling a few stories that maybe included a Bible verse. And then we wonder in the American church, how in the world did people believe these false truths? Well, nobody told them the real truths to begin with. And this brings me back to what Paul has already said. We must recognize and avoid false teaching. And here's the reality. For us as a church, for you as an individual, we cannot recognize false teachers if we don't know the truths of scripture to begin with. You cannot recognize false teaching if you haven't received true teaching. You cannot recognize false teaching if you have not embraced the truths of scripture before the false teaching comes. If you were an empty slate and you happen to turn on one of these, and not all famous pastors are bad or not all big church. I love big church. I grew up in big church. So I'm not saying all big churches are teaching false things or anything like that, but, but there are big churches, famous churches teaching false things. And if you come with a blank slate that doesn't know the truths of scripture, you'll show up and it will sound so good when they drop one of those lines in and you'll say, absolutely, amen. That has to be right because it rhymed and it sure felt good. And Satan will get you. He will. That's just how it works. Deceived minds lead to deceived hearts. And so instead of being a blank slate, we must learn to decipher the truth of every sermon and every statement and every song that we hear and think about because we've spent time reading, studying, better understanding the truths of scripture. If you can't recognize a false teacher, then they will trap you. That's how it goes. But if you can recognize a false teacher, then you can avoid embracing their truths, their truths. One of the things that we've talked a lot about here at this church, and I, I think this is the time to bring it up. We've talked about bringing this up, but we, we sing songs uh, that are written by bands in churches that we think are frankly false teaching churches. Uh, we think the songs are true. We never do a song that's not true. There's certain songs you'll never hear us do around here because we, we just we just don't you'll never hear us do the song champion for example although i like 75% of that song daniel joked wouldn't that be funny if we had planned it today and it was post post song sermon that would have been a mess up right uh, but but there are certain songs we'll never do but but if a song is true we will do the song we don't have time or resources or energy to go search out uh, who wrote the song and and if they you know are believable in everything they say but but this has led to a question that's come up it's come up and it's coming up in more and more churches well, what if somebody looks up that song and then that person sees who wrote it and then they look up the person who wrote it and they listen to the church that they go to preach and it's false teaching and they embrace the false teaching and they get trapped. Is that our fault? I'm gonna say no, as long as our church is teaching you the truths of scripture and pushing you to learn the truths of scripture yourself then hopefully we can become a church and you can become a person that, that does that same line. I love this song. I look it up, comes from a church. You listen to the sermon, you listen to the sermon. He's rhyming, sounds good. He's got lots of people cheering and you go, wait a minute, that's just not true. That's what I hope for our church. Not that we pretend the false teachings aren't out there, that you never turn on YouTube, that we stick our heads in the sand and act like everything's okay, but that you can hear a sermon or a song and go, wait a minute, that doesn't seem true. Or that's not true, but if it's that doesn't seem true, you could go to scripture and figure out how to decipher whether or not it is true. The American church is floundering because we stopped 
teaching all the truths of scripture and we let people (laughs) kind of think whatever they wanted and then somebody comes along and they're willing to make a statement that's contrary to scripture and, and people are embracing it and the church has become weak and because the church has become weak, our nation has become weak. We need to be a church that recognizes and avoids false teaching. And it happens as you, as you learn, 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 learn the truths of scripture. He says this, he continues this idea. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be, notice this, I love this. Wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you you. Uh, Paul compliments something in, in this church, and it's, it's obedience. And, and I think that one of the keys to avoiding the trap that is false teaching is to be striving for obedience to God in your own life. You see, what we strive for is, you know, we strive for our own pleasures. We strive I don't know, for the same things the world strives for, the American dream or whatever, but but what helps us avoid giving in to false teaching is when we're striving for obedience to God, which is reflected in us going to the word to see the Bible, to see what God wants from us, right? Because if we truly want to be obedient to God, we'll ask the question, well, what does God say about this thing in my life? When we're striving for anything but obedience, then false teaching is going to really appeal to us. But when somebody comes along and says, God just wants you to be happy, and you go, wait a minute, I'm trying to be obedient to God, we go, what if my happiness doesn't align, what if my happiness doesn't align with what God wants? And we choose to do what God wants. Strive for obedience. And then, and then I love this other thing, he says, be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. It's kind of a play on words. You gotta be a person that's wise about, you have to to know what is good. You have to be learning what is good. You have to be looking at the Bible, studying the Bible to find out what is good. You have to be listening to good sermons. You have to be spending time with Christians that know the word in order that you can know what is good and then innocent about what is evil. That doesn't mean stupid about what is evil. That's why it's kind of a play on words. It means that we avoid it. We're trying to stay away from that which is evil. And I love that he says, the God of peace, this is a great line, by the way, just as like, just, just kind of, it's just a good line. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. We serve a God of peace. Peace is a big deal in the book of Romans. But ultimately, evil, all evil, and Satan, who is the epitome of evil, will be crushed by God. I think of it like this, like why would you want to ever be on the side of the losing team? And, and as you consider, what should I be living for? You should be living for that which is good. You should be striving for obedience. And one of the reasons, just one of the reasons, is that you know ultimately that evil stuff is not going to continue on into eternity, but the good will. So why not just start now? Why not start living the way that you will live in eternity right now? Read the Bible Learn hermeneutics. If you want a hermeneutics book, I'll give you one. That's the study of how to study scripture. Learn to discern the, man, we've talked about this, some of the leaders at our church. Like 
We live in a time where, where we're not gonna be able to protect our kids from hearing things. So we have to teach our kids to, to just discern whether things are true or not. We can't say, hey, avoid it. You know, when I was growing up, you could avoid the Simpsons and MTV. You were pretty much okay. We'd have YouTube or anything. But now, like, we, our kids are gonna hear everything. And we have to teach them. We have got to teach them to learn, to decipher, is it true or is it not true? And just because an adult says it, just because a pastor says it, just because a famous guy says it, just because a cartoon says it, just because your favorite TV show says it, it doesn't mean it's true. It's only true if it's in the word of God. And so you need to know what's in the word of God to know whether or not that thing is true. Jesus said it this way. He said it to his disciples. I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It is time for, for the church in America to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, innocent about what is evil, but wise about what is good. Because we know that we serve a God who will crush Satan and all things evil under his feet, but we will live into an eternity that is full of good. It's full of perfection. It's full of what Paul says at the end here, grace. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Every part of this is wrapped in grace. I don't want to stand up here and say, only, only turn to the scriptures because you want to know, you want to avoid the trap, but turn to the scriptures because you've tasted as, as it says in the book of Peter, because first Peter, because you've tasted that the Lord is good. And so you want more of that good thing. It's all wrapped up in grace. The Lord, the grace of the Lord be with you. He finishes in Romans, well, he finishes the section I want to cover today in Romans 16, 21 through 23. And he just gives one more greeting. Some of these leaders, and I'll, I think that I'll, I'll make it connect in a second. Uh, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you. So does Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality in the whole church I and the whole church enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. And you think, what, what is, I mean, who cares, right? And, and, that, and it's probably disconnected, but, but I see a connection here because these, these men who are sending their greetings, they're Christian leaders. And it is really important. Maybe this isn't for you. Maybe this is for me. Maybe this is for our elders and our ministry leaders. It is imperative, especially in the church today with how weak it's become and how quickly it embraces false teachers, for us to be, to have solid Christian leaders that are willing to stand for the truth. Timothy, I noticed Timothy here. The book of 1 Timothy is one of my favorite because I, uh, I'm still a young pastor, uh, not because I feel young anymore, but because pastors in our nation have become so old, and so I, I just remain one of the young ones. And First uh, Timothy is written to Timothy when he's a young man, and so much of that book that he writes to that pastor is about standing for the truth, upholding the truth, teaching people the truth. Listen, my church, don't, don't turn to leaders that will tell you what you want to hear, even if they're great communicators. Have strong Christian leaders in your life that will speak to you the truths of God unapologetically. Because if you don't, then it's gonna be hard to do the th to discern, to understand what is a false teaching and to avoid it. You need good Christian leaders in your life. 
Our church needs to be a church. I'm telling you, there's just, there's not enough. There's not enough. Whole denominations are embracing false teaching. They're just giving up on the truths of God. There's churches all around us that are embracing things that are untrue. And I look at this church, you know, it's been, it's been a tough year, right? It's been hard and uh, we don't have as many people as we used to have. And we, we're going to get our ministries going, but that's a hard thing to do, right? We got our kids ministry kicking off. It's just hard to, to recreate the wonderful momentum we have. But I look around and I think it's so necessary for us to exist because we will be a church that teaches truth. And we will be a church that teaches its people to, to hopefully to, to recognize and avoid false teaching. And I hope you'll be I hope you'll be that. I hope you'll be a person like that and that we'll be a church like that.